Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. This is Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Pastor's Office. Before we bring on our first guest, this week, Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, marked the beginning of the Lenten season, uh, that 40 days uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. Uh, I've been talking to my congregation about Lent. Uh, I've been talking to them about how during this 40-day period uh, they can grow closer to the Lord, uh, get a stronger relationship with our resurrected Savior. There's one thing that, that I share with them all the time. You can't celebrate his resurrection if you haven't embraced his suffering. Uh, and through this 40-day period, the purpose of turning down your plate, of fasting, of giving up social media, various things that, that we do during this period is not for form or fashion. It's not for show. Uh, in the book of Matthew, in the sixth chapter, it speaks of doing things for public recognition and acknowledgement. That's not what this is about. Uh, it's about turning down something that ultimately distracts you from spending time with God. So I ask you today, what is it that you're giving up so that you can grow closer to the Lord, so that you can have a stronger relationship with him, connect with him, uh, have a deeper relationship with our resurrected Savior? You can't celebrate the resurrection and the ascension if you don't embrace his suffering. So think about that. Think about that. And ultimately think about think about the sacrifice that was made for each and every one of us. You know I don't do a whole lot of preaching on this show. Uh, we talk about issues that uh, are relevant to our community, but we cannot enter the high holy season on the Christian calendar without talking about its meaning and its relevance. Uh, and throughout these next few, several weeks, we're going to have pastors on our program that are going to talk to us and, and help us understand why it's important for us to to really, really take time. Uh, lecto divia is something that uh, I learned in seminary. Uh, spending time in silence and solitude with the Lord. Prayer, fasting, growing closer to him. All right. I'm not going to ramble today, but we're going to talk more about it during the season. But listen, one of the topics we always discuss here in the pastor's office is uh, the violence that has gripped the city of Philadelphia, and not only Philadelphia, but major cities around the country. And I wanted to 
always um, I want to bring to your attention ways in which we are attempting to uh, make life better for residents of the city of Philadelphia, uh, whether that be through nonprofit organizations, uh, through the city government, through the state government, through the federal government. And recently, I want you to know that the city of Philadelphia uh, has developed an Office of the Victim Advocate. And the Office of the Victim Advocate, uh, we're glad to say, will be explained in detail to you uh, this afternoon. But I think you're going to enjoy and like what you hear uh, because it's another way to reach out to the citizens of of Philadelphia uh, and to help them when they're in their time of need. And Mayor Jim Kenney found the right person for the job, uh, and, and she has agreed to spend some time. Uh, with us this afternoon. So I want to introduce to you today the person that will be leading the Office of Victim Advocate here in the city of Philadelphia. Not will be, but is leading uh, the Office of Victim Advocate here in the city of Philadelphia. And her name uh, is Adara L. Combs. Uh, Attorney Combs, welcome into the pastor's office. Thank you. Thank you for that warm introduction. I'm happy to be here. Well, listen, we want to, again, thank you for taking time to join us today. And before we talk about uh, this brand new position that you've taken, uh, this brand new office that has been created, and the reason why it's been created, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background? I know you're Philadelphia born and raised. I am. I am Philadelphia born and raised. So, again, thank you for the introduction, and thank you for welcoming me into into this space to to have a conversation and to explain to um, your listeners um, the importance of the work that we'll be doing and how they, too, um, can join in the work, because I do truly believe that at this point um, where we are in this moment of our city's history, it is an all-hands-on-deck type of moment. We need to, to fight for our city and to save our city. So thank you again so much for creating this opportunity. To tell you more about me, um, I am born and raised in Philadelphia. I uh, grew up in the West Oakland, Mount Airy section of the city, but my family, by and large, um, is from the Frankfurt section of the city. They, they like to say, whether or not this is true or not, <laughs> they like to say that my grandmother and my grandfather's side of the family were two of the, the biggest families in Frankfurt, the McCoys and the Richardsons. Mm. Um, so whether that's statistically accurate or not, that, that is what they say. Um, so that is just where I'm from. Um, went to girls high school uh, out in, a, in Alany, uh, graduated, went to Franklin and Marshall College, then decided that I wanted to spend my career um, servicing my city. Um, I decided to to join the district attorney's office, um, did some juvenile diversion work for several years while I also attended Temple Law School in the evening. So I did both at the same time um, after deciding that that was the path that I truly wanted to to pursue. Um, Became a prosecutor after graduating from law school and spent my career doing that. I focused mostly on sexual assaults and domestic violence, um, but also did a number of other things. Did a extent in the Northeast um, Division of our office, um, prosecuting crimes that ha- that took place in the Northeast section of the city, um, but also spent some time in East Division, Southwest, charging, so on and so forth, before I got to family violence and sexual assault. 
Um, the last two years of my career at the district attorney's office, I was running the juvenile unit first as the assistant supervisor. Um, and then I was appointed by the district attorney to supervise the unit entirely um, with the assistance of two assistant supervisors. So that's what I was doing right before I left the office. Appointed, you know, by the mayor to, to head up the office of victim advocate early this year. We opened our doors February the 7th. Um, and I'm just eager to do the work. It breaks my heart that there is a need for the work, um, but I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to use my passion and my skill set um, to serve my fellow my fellow Philadelphians, my family, my friends, um, those that I grew up with and those that I'll never meet, but know that my impact will reach them. Aside from my, my practice and my career, I am the president of the Barristers Association, which is the affinity organization under the bar um, for black attorneys. Um, I also was on the board for the National Black Prosecutors Association for some time. I no longer sit on that board um, and doing a lot of other things uh, in the city. Uh, to you try are, to, to use my time wisely. You are busy. Uh, you are Very busy. Much so. <laughs> and, 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 but but here's the other thing. I give you I give you a fact about uh, Frankfurt. You talked about two large families. The one thing I've learned pastoring in Frankfurt, and by the way, building Philly's favor, uh, the radio station here in Frankfurt. And I've been here since 1974. Uh, is everybody in Frankfurt is family? <laughs> everybody in that Frankfurt knows truth. one another. So some that way, somehow, true. everybody's connected in this uh, in this little enclave. Uh, uh, 100%. But, uh, I uh, grew up going to Campbell AME Church in, Did you? Uh, in Frankfurt. Okay. Yeah, and right. uh, when I was younger, I remember we'd walk from my great grandmother's house on Mulberry Street, and we would walk to the church. And I remember walking some, I walked to other family members' houses and whatever. And I remember my aunts and my cousins, my mom saying, or my grandmother saying, you know, this is aunt such and such house, this is cousin such and such house, this is uncle such and such house. And I'm like, is there anybody in? This radius that I'm not related to. That's right. That's <laughs> I right. Need to know. <laughs> and, and and so going to Campbell and and we've we've certainly fellowship with Campbell. Uh, you know where Northeast Baptist is, and uh, Northeast is right at the corner of Folk Road and Takawana Street, uh, yeah. right right across from the White Hall, and that's where we built the radio station. The radio station is on the second floor of the church, so we're oh, right okay. here. We're, we're right here in your neighborhood, ma'am. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So let's 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 move on. Um, I want to understand, and, and I appreciate you giving us all your background, but you know what? Advocacy uh, is not a learned profession. Uh, it's something that's in your heart. And, and most people who become advocates in any field, uh, when you trace back through their history, it's something really they've been doing all their lives in different capacities. Uh, because at the end of the day, being an advocate is interceding on somebody else's behalf. How did you develop that passion? <laughs> it's funny that you say that. Um, I think coming into this position has given me the opportunity to reflect on the origin of my advocacy. And my mother would tell you, and my grandmother probably too, that it dates back to when I was a very small child. I went to Ivy Leaf when I was young. And I, I went to Spruance, which is also in the Northeast. And I spent a lot of my time advocating for people in my class 
to just do random things. You know, sometimes things I should have been advocating for, sometimes things I shouldn't have been. Um, my father likes to say that my sister was my first client because she would tell me, you know, she wants something and I would make it happen. You know, she wants a new boombox. All right, Dad, Nicole wants a new boombox. Can she have it? And I would make my case for my client, which was my sister. Right. Um, so that is the, the soft origin. But truly, um, the, the deep origin is that I always felt um, compelled to be a voice for people who either didn't have a desire to speak up for themselves for a, a myriad of reasons or could not speak up, up for themselves for a myriad of reasons. Um, I always found myself in those types of situations um, and always felt compelled to use my voice um, to, to stand up for people. So when I was thinking about how I would develop my career, I always, you know, the, the, the quote that everyone hears, you know, if you do what your passions lead you to do, you'll never work a day in your life. I've always allowed that to resonate in the decisions that I made in terms of my career path. And that's something that has always come natural to me. And I enjoy helping people. So when I was thinking of my career path, that is naturally where it led me to. Um, I've also experienced victimization in my own life and in the lives of those I um, hold close to me. And I've always wanted to make sure that their voices were heard and that they were taken care of. Um, and when I had the opportunity to utilize my career to do that on a grander scale, um, it was a no brainer for me. Understood. And I think you said you went to Spruance, right? I did. Yeah. Shout out to Quan Lang, the principal over at Spruance, who is a member of our church here and one of my great fraternity brothers. He's carrying on uh, the legacy over there and doing a great job with uh, his 1,600 students. Uh, so let's talk about the Office of Victim Advocate. Uh, because it's new, just, just start us from the beginning. What is it and how will it impact the lives of Philadelphians? So the Office of Victim Advocate is similar to exactly what it sounds like. It's an office designed to advocate for victims and co-victims of crime. So I know we have a lot of advocacy agencies in the city and a lot of people already doing the work of advocacy. The purpose of this office specifically is to, in some way, form a collective effort um, and to have a large backing to support the work that has been going on in our city for so long and to make sure that accountability is at the forefront um, for those agencies and departments um, that deal with victims on an everyday basis and to also make sure that collaboration is always the backdrop of that work to make sure we're doing the best to serve as victims. So a lot of the work I'll, I'll be doing uh, will be on the local level, it'll be on the state level, it'll be on the federal level, policy work, legislation, um, and on a day-to-day, you know, listening to what victims need and what co-victims need um, and doing my best to put things in place or make them aware of the things that are already in place um, to address their needs. So that's basically the backdrop of the office. It's a hub for the community, for our government partners, for our law enforcement partners um, to work together to make sure our victims' voices are heard and elevated and to make sure that we're doing everything that we need to do to service them. And 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 so you you, you use the word need a few times in in your in your explanation of the office. Share with our Philly's favorite listeners some of the needs uh, that victims have after they encounter violence uh, or 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 whether or not 
I mean, let's face it, with gun violence, uh, last year we had the highest level of murders in the city uh, in our history. Uh, but there are a lot of families that are left behind. There are a lot of empty seats left at the table as a result of this type of violence in our community. How do you help those victims? What are their needs? What do they need after something traumatic like that happens in their life? Absolutely. So, you know, last year we lost 562 people um, to homicide. And the year before that, we lost 499. That's over 1,000 Philadelphians that we have lost in this city. Um, so the needs are high, and quite honestly, that's what birthed this office. Our main focus will be servicing um, those who have been impacted by gun violence, whether it be non-fatal shootings or homicides um, within our community. And the needs are to address, A, the try to do the prevention piece. We already have a lot of offices um, in the, the city that do that type of work, but to also make sure that we're addressing um, in a trauma-informed fashion the needs of the, the family members and the community that le- that's left behind, um, the schools that are left behind to, to deal with the students who are impacted uh, by gun violence, because that is a community that I think oftentimes we don't necessarily think about per se, um, but they need to be um, serviced as well. So making sure that we connect them with those that can give them grief counseling or give them counseling to maneuver the space that they're in at that moment, Um, you know, relocation services, whenever that's applicable, uh, making sure that we are not only setting them up in terms of if, you know, there's an open case, making sure we're helping them to prepare for that, but also ensuring that we're setting them up to move forward in their life once that chapter is over. I feel like during my time as a prosecutor, we spent a lot of time um, preparing people for trial. And that's very important work, and it's absolutely necessary. However, those that have been impacted by, uh, by crime and by uh, violence have to sit with that for the rest of their lives. So it's important that we do everything that we do to make sure that they don't have to sit with it as to the highest magnitude that they're sitting with it in in the initial moment when it happens for the rest of their life. And you only can do that by listening to what they need and putting those things in place um, and trying your best to make them feel as safe as they can as they maneuver um, the the space that they're in. So those are the needs that, that the folks need. You know, they need people to listen to what they need. They need counseling and they need grief counseling. They need someone to help them navigate the the system. So, you know, I've gotten a lot of outreach from people about um, victim's assistance. So, you know, for someone who has never been a part of, you know, any type of criminal justice activity, they have no idea what is available to them or what they should be applying for or who to apply with and what papers to fill out and who to send them to. And quite honestly, it's unfair of us to even think that they should know that. Um, So it's our job to make sure that we're helping them to navigate that terrain so that they don't feel alone because no one after being traumatized deserves to be re-traumatized because there's a lack of support in place. Wow. Wow. That, that, that's a powerful statement you just made. Somebody who's been traumatized doesn't need to be re-traumatized. And, and, and we're glad that you're there as a voice for the people. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We are talking to uh, the new head of the Office of Victim Advocate, uh, Attorney Adara L. Combs. Uh, and again, we appreciate you joining us today. Let's talk about, real quick, as we prepare to close out this interview, the ability for your office to navigate through the bureaucracy uh, of city government, state government, to get things done for 
the victims. Uh, how will your office be positioned to make that happen? So I think that the office was birthed out of a ballot question, right? So it was birthed out of the the citizens' desire to have the office be created to advocate on their behalf. So I think that in and of itself is a powerful tool um, that could be leveraged when, you know, if and when ever facing uh, opposition, I guess, to something that's absolutely necessary to advocate on behalf of victims and to move the ball forward in terms of servicing them. Um, but in terms of my office's unique position is that it, it, while it's housed within the, you know, under the managing director's office, which is obviously under the mayor, um, it does operate separate and independent in the sense that it is my office's job to determine what our agenda is and what it is that we're going to fight for. Um, I have not had any issues thus far um, with being told what my office should be doing. It very much so is go out to the community, find out what it is that they need, and obviously based on your expertise, your experience, things of the sort, your collaboration with all of the partner agencies and all of the, the folks in the grassroots organizations that are doing this work, come back and let's figure out what it is that we need to do. I think that there is an overwhelming understanding that at this point, again, in our, our city's history, that, you know, bureaucracy exists, but it can't it can't win the day, not when we're losing a thousand people, over a thousand people in a two year span of time. And we're at a, a point in you know this moment right now on March 2nd, where we're projected to surpass that um, the homicide rate from last year. And while I do not want to speak that into existence, that is what the numbers are telling us. Um, we don't have time for bureaucracy. Um, and I think that that is what you utilize um, to, to get people on board. And I think thus far, you know, I've been met with a lot of support. I've been met with a lot of desires to collaborate because we are in a dire situation where, like I said, it is all hands on deck. And I think those entities that would ordinarily serve as opposition are serving in partnership because we are in such a dire state here in our city. Outstanding. Outstanding. Why don't we do this? Why don't we tell our Philly's favorite listeners how they can engage uh, the Office of Victim Advocate? How can they get in touch with you? Is there a physical location, an email address, a phone number? Let's, let, let's give that information out so that they can definitely be beneficiaries of the work that you're doing. Absolutely. So at this moment, we do have an email address, and that email address is victim.advocate at scylla.gov. Again, victim.advocate at scylla.gov. If you send an email to that address, I check it daily. It's on my phone. It's on my computer. It's on my tablet. Um, I will absolutely get back to you with what, you know, to correspond with you to answer your questions or to hear what you have to say. What I've been doing when I've been getting outreach is setting up phone conversations with people. You know, I am a let's get on the phone and talk kind of person. Um, so if you reach out and there is something that you need, I will do my very best. Um, to correspond with you and to assist you um, to the best of my abilities. And if it's not me that you need assistance from, I'm absolutely in a great position to connect to, to connect folks with uh, other services and other agencies to get um, the services and the help that they need. So hopefully we will be uh, launching our website soon and increasing our social media presence, or I guess creating our social media presence, um, so that way we can meet folks where they are. I really do want to create an office where we can be accessible to anyone through any medium. So whether it's Instagram, Facebook, 
you know, the website, uh, telephone, email, coming down to the office, all of those things are currently in the works, but it is absolutely my desire um, to have people be able to interface with us whenever it is that they feel they need to and to not make it difficult. Because again, you do not want to re-traumatize people by making their life difficult at this level um, when they're already dealing with something so impactful. And I want our Philly's favorite listeners to, to know that not only is this a passion for you, but but you've also, in, unfortunately, have encountered uh, a situation where, where you actually have been a part of a family that's been traumatized by violence. Just just a few weeks ago, your your cousin uh, uh, was shot in um, Pratt uh, right here in the Frankfurt section and sadly did not make it. And she was only 18 years old. Uh, and so first and foremost, you, you have our prayers and our condolences. I share with you before we started, a couple of members of the family are members of our church uh, at Northeast Baptist Church. And we've been not only been praying with you, we've been praying for you. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you to keep her legacy alive through this work, uh, because at some point, some way, somehow, we have got to curb the violence in this community. And, 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 and when there is violence, it's good to know that there's somebody like you out there fighting for the families, fighting for the victims who have been affected. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you. And if there's ever anything that Philly's favor can do for you uh, as you continue this great work, we're only a phone call away. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate you inviting me onto the show um, to talk about the office and to talk of, talk to um, the, the listeners about what will be available. But again, like I said, this is an all-hands-on-deck collaboration. I will be out in every single community um, doing what I've been calling a listening tour. I'll think of a better name <laughs> as the, the time approaches. I'll be sending that information to you, Pastor, so you can get it out to your congregation and all of the people you know in the community, because um, I really do want to hear um, from the community in terms of what they feel will be needed for them and how I can best support them, because that is what is the purpose of the Office of Victim Advocates. Absolutely. And we'll be talking to you on a consistent basis to make sure that we do what is necessary on our side to help your work go forward. Attorney Adara L. Combs, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office. You be blessed. Thank you. Philly's favorite listeners, don't you dare leave your radio dial or leave the app. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. And I want to again thank uh, the head of the new Office of Victim Advocate uh, for the city of Philadelphia, Ms. Adara L. Combs, attorney Adara L. Combs, uh, for coming in and sharing uh, information about her office and the plans that they have to better serve Philadelphians in their hour of need. So we want to again thank her and encourage you to go to our social media platforms uh, to get engaged with her office, the Office of Victim Advocate. Let me share something with you. As a pastor of a church in an urban area, unfortunately, one of the job responsibilities that I have uh, is to conduct funerals, but not just conduct funerals, but work with, counsel, support families as they go through their hour of bereavement. One thing I tell my congregation all the time is that we may be late to work, 
We may be late for a party. We may be late coming to church. But there's one appointment that we will not be late for. All of us have an appointment with death. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. And one of the things that research has shown me, a lot of us don't prepare for it. And so today, I wanted to talk to you about preparation for your passing. Because one of the things I see in families all the time is that when a person does not prepare for their passing, in a lot of situations, it causes mass confusion for the surviving members of the family. I've been in enough rooms where folks have made pledges to be able to pay for funeral costs, put a body in the ground. I've been in enough rooms where they've asked me as pastor, can you, can you waive the fee for the church? We'll, we'll take care of it as soon as we, you know, as soon as the service is over. One thing I've learned as a pastor, when the service is over, so is that promise. It's not something I'm laughing about. I'm just being transparent. We've got to prepare for our final day. Where will the things that you own, where, where will they go when, when you're gone? Your house, your car, your bank accounts. Do you know that folk can't get into your bank accounts if, if, it's not pro, if there's not a proper plan in place? Certainly can't get in right away. Wait a second. I'm giving out way too much information. I'm talking too much. Let me bring in the Register of Wills for Philadelphia, who is doing a wonderful job of helping to teach Philadelphians, helping to engage Philadelphians in understanding that there is a method to preparing for your passing. I want to bring into the pastor's office for the very first time, Miss Tracy Gordon, the Register of Wills for Philadelphia. Ma'am, come on in the pastor's office and let's have a conversation. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you to the listening audience. And I was listening to you because, you know, I'm like, instead of saying preach, preach, pastor, preach, <laughs> it's teach, pastor, teach. Yes, yes, yes. You are exactly right. Folk don't they prepare. They will not be able to get access to a bank account if it's $10,000 or more in the account. That's right. If it's $10,000 or less in an account and you can bring a death certificate, a funeral bill, and proof of relation, like mother, father, sister, brother, husband, they have to automatically release the money to you. But many of the tellers don't know that. Now, if it's $10,000 or more, you have to head on down to the Registry of Wills, and you have to do a process called opening an estate or probate, and you have to probate the estate, file the necessary documents, so I would be able to issue you something that's called a short certificate. And with that short certificate, you will be able to take to the bank and say, I have the authority to withdraw the money out. You take the short certificate to the mortgage company if they're still paying the mortgage and say, I have the authority to, you know, 
make legal decisions over this mortgage. If you own the property, you take the short certificate over to the recorder of deeds, which is a different office, that say, I have authority to remove the name of the dead person, my mother, and put my name on there or whatever. There is a process and a procedure that the citizens of Philadelphia don't know, don't understand, never were taught. I was the first woman, first black elected in this office in Philadelphia history. This office, the Registrar of Wills, and it has been here since the 1600s. Wow. Somebody brought Benjamin Franklin Wills to the Registrar of Wills and was able to get access to his estate. Somebody brought Grace Kelly's will in, Grace Kelly's father. Anybody that lived in the city of Philadelphia or was a resident of Philadelphia and had a will, they come to my office. And even if they didn't have a will, there's a process in order to be able to get to transfer those assets from the dead person name to your name. And people in Philadelphia don't understand that part of estate planning. There are certain things that you have to do. There are certain taxes you have to pay. There are certain paperwork that you have to get in order to get the access to your family's estate. And and I can see you're passionate about this process, but let me let, let, let let's start here. And I know you've encountered a lot of families, a lot of individuals who had to deal with this. Why do you think folk don't prepare for their final day, prepare for their passing? I think the number one reason is they never was educated. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they never. It, it's not taught in school. It certainly wasn't taught to me when I was in college. It certainly is not something that you discuss. People always think. If I'm discussing my will or, you know, estate planning, if you set me up, you what you think I'm going to die? There's a lot of superstition goes on with that, a lot of mistrust. You don't trust people to know your business. And it's just plain, ordinary could be ignorance. You know, my mother's always said, when you know better, you do better. Something happens. Something happens. Sometimes even, and it's happening to mostly with poor people. But even when it happens with rich people and they die without a will, they have enough money, their family and estate have enough money to hire an attorney to help fix it. Unfortunately, a lot of times when we die, black people, people of color, we may only have that one house. But who, how many of us can really afford an attorney? When you don't necessarily need an attorney, all you need is for that paper, that person to make a will. I, Tracy Gordon, put the date on there, leave. My house to whoever you want to leave it to. You got to name those people. You got to sign it. You got to make sure uh, uh, somebody knows where that will is. And that's called a ba- that's a basic will or a holographic will. You can go on my um, Facebook page and my website, and it explains everything. But the best type of will we recommend is a self-proven uh, affidavit. That means you go to an attorney. He creates the will. You name who your executor is or your executrix, you they, you get two, you have two witnesses, you sign and date it, and you get it notarized. That one is bulletproof. Even if someone tried to challenge that will, that will would be sustainable. You ask the question, why? I have not figured out why, but I know for a fact that as a result of that ignorance, we are sitting in a city that is inundated with tangled titles. In other words, we got properties that sitting and the dead person name is still on the property and the people or the families that's living in there 
think they own the property. They think it's an automatic transfer. When somebody dies, my mother died, she, I'm her only child, it's automatically mine. No, it isn't. It's still in the dead person's name. It's still legally theirs. The thing about it, they can't do anything about it. You can't get in homeowner's insurance when you're living in a house in a dead person's name. You can't sell it. You can't pass it down to your children. You can't get home equity or home improvement loans to improve the home. You can't get access to uh, stocks that they may have had because you don't own the assets because there wasn't a will. And in the case there wasn't a will, you still need to come down to the city hall to the Register of Wills office to open the state, to begin the process so I can give you the necessary paperwork that you need to be able to take to the recorder of deeds and get your name put on the uh, property so you can be the legal owner. Currently, we have 10,000 or more tangled titles in the city simply wow. because the people and the, the, the person that died didn't realize that they should have made a will. And the people that are in the house, despite the fact that this, there wasn't a will, they don't understand the process that they had to still come down to the register of wills and take care of the business. So, so, so one of the things that that I and I've read a lot of articles about your work uh, and about your focus, and and it's clear listening to you, you're passionate about this issue. But one of the things you try to get folk to understand is is having a will is one of the greatest ways to preserve generational wealth, to even to start generational wealth. Because in our communities, let's face it, a lot of times it's starting generational wealth, being able to pass down your things to your family, your friends, your children, etc. Tell our listeners a little bit about that, uh, uh, because that's important for them to grasp. Exactly. Preserve and protect. I have a series on um, Facebook and my social media pages. If you go on any social media website, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, put the hashtag in P-H-L-R-O-W, and you will see answers to all your questions. So I have a series called Plan, Prepare, Protect. Plan your state. Prepare your heirs to protect. It's one thing preserve, but you got to protect it. You can protect the people who are selling people's deeds. People, you, 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 you think that you're, you're protecting your family when you die and it's still in your name. Your family can't even do any legal things with the house. It's almost as if they're squatters in the house. There is something that you have to do. You have to pay estate taxes. People think that by not coming to probate that property, they're going to avoid estate taxes. No. You're not going to avoid estate taxes. There's still going to be uh, access to your property. And is it going to accrue after nine months of not paying the estate taxes? After nine months of not paying those taxes, it's going to accrue interest. So although it's, it's 10 years from now, your, your, your property uh, is going to be taxed on how much it was worth when you died. Okay, so that could have been when you died, your property was only, you know, $40,000 or so. And you you have to pay a, a, a little percentage of that, uh, uh, and it's not high in the state taxes. But when you ignore it, that little bit starts to accrue interest and penalties. So it's still growing. So you're not going to avoid taxes. What you're doing is hindering yourself because now you can't do it legal. You can't even get grants. There's money out there. They just 
awarded $63 more million in the basic system repair grant where if your furnace breaks or if you need some electrical work or plumbing and you are income eligible, you can get it done for free. Guess what? You're not eligible for it. Guess why? Because the house is still in the dead person's name. So when you go up to apply for the grant, they're going to say, do you own the home? And you're going to be like, yeah, I own the home because this was my mother's home. And then you're going to show proof that you own the home. And they're going to say, well, whose name is this? You're going to say, oh, that's my mom's name. She died. Okay, then it's still in your mom's name. You're not eligible for the grant because it's not in your name. You're not the legal owner. Yes, it I am. That's my mom's. I'm the only child. This is my, she left it to me. She may have left it to you, but there is a process that you have to do called probate. You have to come down to the register or will's office to open an estate, to pay the fees, pay the inheritance tax, and then distribute the wealth. You got to pay all your mom's, you know, uh, 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 expenses, funeral bills, and um, all, all that, all, all, all of, you got to take care of the business. And that's why, you know, I've been blessed to have been elected by you all to be able to teach you all how to take care of business, how to preserve your generational wealth, keep families in their homes. Right now, Philadelphia is the hottest real estate land on the East Coast, the hottest. That's why you can barely buy a house in Philly. You're standing to lose a house that's in a dead person's name. You can't negotiate water, but you can't negotiate real estate taxes. And that's how they sometimes, and a lot of times, end up in sheriff's house. That's why you see all those abandoned lots, all those abandoned lots, all those abandoned houses. They they were probably tangled titles. Hmm. Somebody just couldn't do business with the house. I couldn't keep it up. The furnace was gone, the electrical work. Or, by the way, the house caught on fire, and you didn't have homeowner's insurance. Why? Because you can't get homeowner's insurance. Why? Because the house is not in your name. It's still in the dead person's name. Mm. So how many people have enough money in the bank if they house caught on fire that they could rebuild? Not many. That's right. That's right. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 and 99.5 HD3. We are talking to the passionate Register of Wills for the City of Philadelphia, Miss Tracy Gordon, and and I really appreciate the information that you're giving our listeners. You just shared a couple moments ago uh, that a lot of people have a trepidation and hesitation about handling the business because they can't afford it. They can't, you know, they feel like they don't have the funds to do it. Why don't you talk to us about your probate deferment initiative uh, that you've implemented since being in office? Yes, yeah. A lot of people think it's expensive. You need, you know, you, it is expensive. You, you need attorneys to help you understand this, understand the language of getting renunciations so you can be the administrator. I just said that a couple years ago. I didn't know what that meant, you know. So I developed a program or I int- in- introduced a program called Probate Deferment Initiative that will, at the, at the, um, at, at the advice of attorneys, they will give you advice and the fees that we would charge for the probate, we are deferring those fees. In other words, if you are income eligible, you don't have to pay those fees unless you sell the property. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to pay those fees unless you sell the property. Then, if you sell the property and make a property, yeah, then we want our fees. Then, when you want to get the house transferred in your name, we are waiving. The record our deeds is waiving the fees. So 
I partnered with the Recorder Deeds, which is two different offices, by the way. I'll come back to your program to talk about that next time. The difference between the Register of Wills and Recorder Deeds, there are two different offices. My office is an elected office. Y'all, when I run, when the mayors run and city council run, that's when I run, four-year term. The commissioner is appointed. That's a separate office. So once you come to my office and get what's called a short certificate, you take it over to the Recorder Deeds to actually get the name from your mother or the dead person name to your name, two different offices. So he's waiving those fees. And then we are uh, appointing an attorney, which could cost thousands of dollars to help you get the paperwork, put the paperwork with her and help you along so we can get the name out of, your, out, of, out of the name of the dead person into your name so you can be able to, to conduct the business or stay in the, stay in the house. And so that's what my program does. So if anybody's interested in just understanding, you know, uh, whether or not they're eligible or if even if they can afford it, we're going to help you and show you how to get it out of your name, out of the dead person's name, into your name. And our phone number there is 215-686-6250. Wait for the font. And then press when it tells you to hit the probate deferment initiative. If you all have any legal questions, anything that you didn't understand, because I know I may be talking fast or this is a short show, row online at phyllis.gov is our email. R-O-W online, that's one word, the at sign, P-H-I-L-A dot G-O-V. Row online at philly.gov. That's how you contact us. Got it. And, and, and one final thing I wanted to bring up, uh, you've partnered with one of my favorite council people. I guess, uh, no, no, she's my favorite council person because she is a member of the greatest sorority in the land, Zeta Phi Beta sorority, and I'm a Sigma. Uh, but you partnered with uh, at-large council member Catherine Gilmore Richardson uh, to pass legislation that would cause funeral homes to offer education to families uh, at the time of a relative's passing, uh, uh, to offer education about the office of the Register of Wills. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that before we go? Oh, yes. And you know what? I am so excited. Uh, Councilwoman at large, Catherine Gilmore Richardson, she gets it. She gets it. And she get, got it personally because it actually happened to her the tangled title situation that we assisted her in being able to save and preserve her generational wealth. And so one of the things I said, how we can get the information, each one teach one, is this, at the even though the person's already died, the family needs to know what next. And oftentimes they ask the funeral director, because when they're trying to get access to the money to pay for the funeral, the funeral director is, you know, uh, the funeral director, they, they're asking them about it. So what we've done and what this legislation has done, city council unanimously passed this legislation that information about the registry of wills has to be included in the, 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 the funeral packet. So, you know, when you get the bill and, you know, everything that you get with the packet is going to be a leaflet put in there and every funeral home by law, has to add that leaflet. So at least, you know, we're, we're designing the leaflet now. So it says, do you do you have a will? And then it says, direct you to come bring it down to the register of wills office. Because by the way, we do, you do not register the will at my office while you're alive. 
we don't see the will until you die. And your executory, your executrix brings that will down to our office along with the other necessary paperwork. If you don't have a will, you still have to come to our office. And in that lease is going to tell you to contact us either by way of phone. Right now, because of COVID, we are open by appointment only. You can make the appointment over the phone. You can go to our website and, um, uh, um, and you can actually schedule an appointment on the website. Our website is um, translated in Spanish as well. And that was huge because that got passed in 2021. You know, and it was just me and her had only been in office just for two years, and she she got it. And she did, this is the first time in history that is mandated that funeral parlors and funeral and cemeteries are mandated to give you that information so you won't be, you know, in the dark about how to transfer generational wealth. And that passed, and I just love working with her. Catherine Gilmore Richardson, she's been um, very supportive of us. Um, and Council on a whole mainly has been supportive of us. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, listen, I, I'm really excited about your energy in this office because at the end of the day, one of the main focuses of this show is providing information that's going to make the lives of Philadelphians better. Uh, and and transferring general generational wealth uh, after the passing of a loved one is quite important. Making sure uh, that there's a process and a plan for passing is very important. And I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing and the innovative ways that you're going about getting people engaged. Uh, one more time before we go, just give them your website and Facebook page so that our listeners know how to engage the office. So again, my phone number is 215-686-6250. We are in City Hall, Room 180. And by the way, the Register Wills is also um, responsible for issuing marriage licenses. So you'll see my little John Hancock on your marriage licenses when you get married. <laughs> so that's also part of the Register of Wills. We are on the ground floor at Room 180, and right now, because of COVID, we are open by appointment only. My uh, uh, website, um, uh, you can go on the city website and then put Philadelphia Register of Wills. It'll pop right up. And we are on all social media, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, and all you have to do is go on a search engine and put the hashtag P-H-L-R-O-W, and you'll see all kinds of programs that we have about plan, prepare, protect webinars. We are um, uh, we have a new series that's coming up every normally every Thursday evening on Facebook. We um, go Facebook Live from six to seven, and we have all kinds of uh, dignitaries on explaining to you about the importance of making wills and the difference between the Register of Wills and, and, and the Department of Records, like I just told you. And um, if you want to send any questions, roll online at phila.gov. You can contact me there. Um, I'm so willing and open to um, work with you all. We, I have an outreach team for the first time in uh, Register of Wills history. We have an entire outreach team that comes to your church with all this information will come to recreation centers will come all over so thank you all for having me tracy gordon have a nice day 
Thank you so much, and we'll be talking to you again real soon.